All right, good afternoon. Good to see you. Thanks for being here this weekend. Just want to remind you, uh, Pastor Robert and Stephanie, they're actually in South Africa today uh, speaking at that church as they start their sabbatical. So we're praying for them and looking forward to all that God is going to do here this summer as well as we really focus on the soul. You're going to hear from me for a few weeks. You're also going to get to hear from Neely Gully in a few weeks as she's going to be speaking. It's going to be exciting. James Racine is going to be speaking again as well. And then Ricky and Tiffany Valdez are coming from Stellenbosch, South Africa to speak. And so we have a lot of great uh depth this summer as we grow and mature on this topic. But before we get into the message today, a news article was sent to me this week that is just too good not to share. So I want to share it with you guys. Here it is. Okay, so this is from the BBC headline, Holy Spirit saves German driver from speeding fine. Okay, now first of all, I thought they didn't have speed limits in Germany, right? And they're like the Autobahn or something. But anyway, so this is one of these cameras. Maybe you guys have seen these where when you're driving and you go through an intersection, it takes a picture of your car. And in order to give you the fine, they have to get your license plate and your face, right? And so this guy is speeding on the highway and he goes through the intersection or whatever and his picture is taken, but this white dove is blocking the view of his face. And so, so this is what the article says. Divine intervention? Question mark. Police urge the driver to recognize the hint from above. A speeding driver in Germany was saved 105 euro fine when a snow white dove interceded on his behalf. I mean, that old preach right there. Hey, I've seen some of you guys drive around here around the corner, okay? So the driver was caught on speed cameras, but his identity was hidden by the bird's wings? I mean, come on. Uh, a lighthearted police statement suggested that perhaps it was no coincidence the Holy Spirit intervened. A reference to the dove as a symbol of the aspect of God in Christianity. Thank you, BBC. We understand the sign and leave the speeder in peace this time. All right. Somebody said, do it again, Lord. <laughs> hey, great. Let me start our series with a story today. Before I worked for this church, I lived in Texas, I was in business, and I was mentored by some people that really had a passion for their career and their vocation to be used by God. So they were also in business as well. And we would get together and we have breakfast. We talk about our work and the workplace and how we could really use our work as a way to honor God and uh, transform our city for, for the best. And, and oftentimes they would bring in guests and these guests would speak and share different topics. And so they brought in kind of a, a well-known management consultant. And maybe you've heard someone like this talk before. They come in and they have their system and their plan, right? And it's the six or seven steps to succeed in your business. And they have their strategy and their tactics. And, you know, everyone was really excited to hear from that. And this guy talked, he talked for about an hour. And what was amazing, the whole hour he talked, he didn't talk about his strategic plan. He talked about the soul. And what he said was, you can take these principles from my business. You can apply them to your business. You can apply them to your life. And you might have some success. You might have some success for a few weeks or months or maybe a year if you're really, really tough. But ultimately, that success is not going to be sustained if you don't have the right environment in your soul. 
And so then at the end of his talk, he had brought his books and he had this management book on how to you know, run your organization and he gave them out. And so everyone got a copy and he signed the front of the books and he said the exact same thing about his book. He said, let me, let me give you a clue. You can read this whole book on management and strategy and success and you can implement these principles in your life and you might see some success. But the most important principle, the most important thing is in the front page of the book. I've signed it under my name. Is that like a B or what is that? Anyway, sorry. Um, so uh, the most important principle is under my name. And so, you know, we, he passes out his books, and I'm thinking, well, I only have to read one page of this book. This is great. And so we go to the front page, and he signed his name. And under his name, he signed a verse from the Bible. So the interesting, now it was in the book of Third John. I've never read the book of Third John before. It's not a book I'd really spent time in. It just didn't feel important or interesting. And so it's not something I'd really spent time in. And of course, I've read it since then, but it's not something I'd focused on. Third John verse two is a Bible verse I've never read. And so I went and I looked it up. This is this guy saying, this is the secret to success. So here it is. Beloved, I pray, so it's a prayer. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your, with your soul. Or he wrote it down in the New King James Version. This was his version. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your prospers. There's something about the state of our souls. There's something about our souls, the environment, the atmosphere of our souls that affects our fruitfulness in life. Somehow our success, the, the, the accomplishment of God's promises and God's will in our life is linked to the state of our souls. So I've been doing some research on the soul as this has been the series we've been in. And today is going to kind of be an introduction to this whole topic of the soil of the soul. And we're going to go deep into this this summer. So I've got to lay some groundwork just kind of theologically as we get into it. So what is a soul? How is your soul? Have you thought about your soul today? Some of you probably have. Um, what's, What's all this conversation about the soul? Well, you can go through world history a lot of people have written about the soul. So the great Greek thinkers, they wrote about the soul and they talked about your soul like a shade, this kind of shadow that goes into the afterlife. Aristotle, Plato, Kant, they all wrote about the soul. These famous Greek, Roman, continental philosophers all talked about the soul. And we have modern day philosophers that talk about the soul too. You can stay home on Sunday morning and you can turn on the OWN network and watch Oprah Super Soul Sunday, right? A modern-day philosopher has something to say about the heart and the soul, right? Another famous kind of modern-day thinker, um, very, very popular in San Diego, Deepak Chopra, he talks about our souls. And he says, what if the soul is some kind of universal consciousness that we're all connected to? Maybe our soul is connected to the universe. So there's a lot of ideas out there about the soul. And let me tell you something. If you're trying to get into summer shape right after church, you can head up to La Jolla UTC Mall and you can go work out at Soul Cycle. Okay, you can get your pedal on or whatever they do in there. Okay, and then you can drive there in your Kia Soul. Does anyone here drive a Kia Soul? That would just be like so amazing. No? Okay. Oh, man. Okay. So um, the soul. So in my research on this topic, I looked at something uh, that the church fathers had to say about the soul. Who are the church fathers? Well, you know, the early disciples of Jesus, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they, they were, most of them 
were martyred or died for their faith. And so they didn't write much down, but their disciples and those disciples of those disciples wrote a lot about the teachings of Jesus and how to live them out. And this was one thing one person said about the soul. I thought it was a brilliant thought. It is not the philosophers that we resort to for information about the soul, but to God. It's not the philosophers that we look to for information about our souls, but to God. God designed our souls. He has something to say about our souls. And, you know, in our podcast, Netflix binge, DIY, just Google it generation, we all think we are experts. You know, uh, doctors and nurses will say one of the problems with modern day medicine is when people come into the office, they've already diagnosed themselves on WebMD. And so they have to like undo the diagnosis the person had given themselves and be like, no, this is your real diagnosis. You, you know, don't have this crazy African disease. You just have this, you know? And, and so, you know, we, we all think we're experts. We can look it up and research it. And we, we treat our souls this way. We kind of just look through life and who has something interesting to say that we feel applies to us. But God has something to say about our souls. Here's a verse on the Bible that relates to our souls, and it really relates to how God has designed all of us. He's designed us with three separate and distinct parts. It's right here. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is how God built us as people. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means just transform you, make you holy. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is just one verse that speaks of the three parts that God made us all as people, a spirit, a soul, and a body. I like to think of it like an apple. So you have this apple here. This looks like a red delicious, maybe like Fuji apples, maybe like granny apples. I don't know whatever apples you like. But um, so here's an apple. So this apple has three different parts. The exterior of the apple, the, the red part on this apple, this is like us. This is like our bodies. We all have a physical body, right? That is kind of the container for who we are and it affects our physical appearance. Inside this apple, there is a seed. Seeds are symbolic of life. And the seed is symbolic of the spirit. So God has given us a body. He's also given us a spirit. Our spirit is where we experience spiritual life, or death based upon our relationship with Jesus. So there's this story where this guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to really know God? What do I need to do to come into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, you've, you've already been born of the water. You've been physically born, but you need to be spiritually born. You need to be born again. And so when a person decides to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, comes and he makes them a new person in their spirit and fills them with life. I remember when this happened to me, I was, I was at a friend's house at a party and, you know, doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And I went to the bathroom and something happened in that bathroom where the presence of God came into that bathroom. And it was like, Jesus spoke to me. He said, Kendall, this isn't the life I have for you. And I said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And at that moment, something happened in my heart. It's a mystery. It's hard to explain. But God's spirit came into my spirit and gave me life. Okay, so what's the middle part of the apple? That is the soul. This is kind of the bulk of who we are. Our soul is where we experience life. 
where we're aware of life. It's our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality, our memories, our heart. That's our soul. Your soul can be a lot of different things. It can be strong or weak. It can be bitter. It can be full of joy. It can be grieved, afflicted, and anguished. Your soul can be thirsty for God. It can be awake. It can be asleep. Your soul can be transformed. So spiritual directors, what's a spiritual director? A spiritual director is someone that has a great understanding of psychology and the Bible, and they use that to help people grow spiritually. Spiritual directors have talked about the soul for like hundreds of years, and they've compared it to soil. They've compared it to a garden. They've compared it to a vineyard. They compared it to an orchard, to something that you plant things in. Your soul is like soil. I don't really know where it comes from, but I imagine it might come from Genesis chapter 2 where it talks about Adam was made from the soil, from the dust of the ground. There's this part of us that is something so similar to our hearts and the state of who we are to the state of soil. And God has an intention. He has a seed. He has a promise. He has life. He has fulfillment. He has abundance. And he wants to put that into our hearts. But the state of our hearts, the state of our soul, affects the fruitfulness of what God wants to bring. And so this is the journey that we are on this summer. How can we have an enriched heart? How can we have an enriched soul? How can the soil of our soul be in the right condition so what God wants to put in our life bears fruit for the long term? So that's where we're going this summer in this series, The Soil of the Soul. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, The Secret of the Soil. I want to talk about some secrets that Jesus points out in the soils of our soul and how our souls can be prepared for what God wants to bring. So let's pray together as we look at this passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of Luke. Lord, we pray right now for every person here. I just ask for good soil in our hearts today, Lord, that you would really put the right word from you in our hearts today. I pray you'd bear fruit. Lord, we just invite you into our hearts right now and um, just to touch us and, and prepare us for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so here's the story. The context is from Jesus' life. He's walking around. He's doing ministry. He's healing people, blessing them, touching them. And then he turns to his disciples all of a sudden, and he starts sharing this random story about soil. And his disciples are kind of confused. So we pick it up in Luke chapter 8. Here's the message version. Okay, here we go. And they went from town to town. A lot of people joined in and traveled along. He addressed them using this story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some of it fell on the road, it was tramped down, and the birds ate it. Okay, so here's the first soil. It's like a road, and then the seed doesn't take root, so birds come and eat it. Other seed fell on the gravel. It sprouted, but withered because it did not have good roots. Okay, so here's the second incident. These seeds, they want to grow, but they're unable to bear, you know, they're unable to get down and get roots, and so they die. Other seed fell on the weeds, The weeds grew with it and strangled it. Okay, this is what's happening in my backyard right now, okay, in La Mesa, okay? So other seed fell in rich earth and produced a bumper crop. Obviously, that's the soil we want to be. We want to be rich earth. And so Jesus' disciples are a little confused. Hey, what's going on with this soil? I thought we were out here healing people. Why are you talking about dirt? And so this is their response. His disciples ask, why did you tell me this story? He said, you've been given kingdom insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. There are others who need stories, but even with stories, some of them aren't going to get it. This story is about some of those people. So he's saying this soil, that I'm not talking about soil. I'm talking about people. 
And I'm talking about the state of their hearts. And now I'm going to explain the story to you. So Jesus goes and he starts to explain this kind of confusing story. And this is what he says. The seed is the word of God. So everyone has the same seed. The word of God. God gives us promises. He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to our hearts. He put great potential and destiny in each of us. And he wants to see that fulfilled. But then what Jesus is going to start to explain is the seed's going to bear fruit or not bear fruit because of the soil that it's put in. The seeds on the road are those who hear the word, but no sooner do they hear it than the devil snatches it from them so they won't believe and be saved. Okay, that was the first scenario. The seeds in the gravel are those who hear with enthusiasm, but the enthusiasm doesn't go very deep. It's only another fad, and the moment there's trouble, it's gone. Okay, that's the second soil. Here's the next incident. And the seed that fell in the weeds, well, these are the ones who hear, but then the seed is crowded out. Nothing comes of it. As they go about their lives worrying, making money, having fun, that's the third soil. But the seed in the good earth, these are the good hearts who seize the word and hold on no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. So there's a lot of different ways to look at this parable. And one way people have read it for years and years, which is very correct, is they've read this parable in terms of going out to tell people about God, about evangelism, about spreading God's word. Last week at this church, we prayed for four different teams to go out to help with our church planting efforts around the world. We prayed for people who are going to Moldova, to Indonesia, to South Africa, and to Japan. And they will be going out to spread seeds and different people will respond in different ways. And that is a great way to look at this parable. So that's very accurate. But we're going to look at this parable in a different way this morning. Rather than looking out to the world and saying, where are all the soils out in the world? And how is everyone responding to the, to the efforts of our church? We're going to turn the parable and use it as a mirror. And we're going to look at our own hearts. And we're going to say, how is the soil of my heart? Do I know the secrets of the soil? Where does God need to work in my heart for his promises to bear fruit in my life? And so as Jesus explains this parable for his disciples, he talks about these different soils. And in these different soils are different secrets, different principles, different things that he wants us to know about our hearts. Here's the first thought that Jesus shares. He says, there's something about a war he talks about. He talks about the devil coming to snatch and steal the seed. The soul is at war. The soul is at war. You may have never thought about this before, but you probably have. But there is a war for your soul. There is a war for your soul. Just as I was preparing this message, I went on to CNN.com to be encouraged, right? Because I thought, what's going on in the world today? Okay, here's what I saw on CNN. Politicians accusing each other of lying, typical. Huge national debate on abortion. A foul ball injures a young fan at a baseball game. What a bummer. I can't even go to a baseball game anymore. Terrible stories, racism, abuse, people pulling guns on each other at movie theaters. And then to knock, top it all off, LaCroix sales are tanking nationwide. Oh, give me a break. All right. So I was not encouraged after just browsing even through the headlines. I didn't even click on an article. What's my point? There is, there is a war for your soul. And even the emotional atmosphere of the media that we encounter, it can steal from what God wants to do in your heart, right? Not to mention where we find our society today. 
right? Just looking at demographics, looking at the state of the church, looking at the social issues and problems that we all encounter. There is a war for our souls. Okay, so, so I need to address some thoughts on this. But first of all, let me show you a scripture, James chapter 4. This is one of the best scriptures, in my opinion, on describing the war that we live in, the war for our souls. Okay, here we go. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, so a few thoughts here. There's a war for your soul. And the war is very real. There is a heaven, and there is a hell. There is a God, and there is a devil that wants to steal from what God wants to do in your life. And the Bible just addresses it head on. It says, first of all, you got to submit yourself to God. You've got to decide to be a God follower. But here's the amazing thing. When we submit ourselves to God and we come under his authority, we don't have to fight battles in our own strength. Because all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And so we submit ourselves to God and then we find ourselves strong in the Lord. And we're prepared for the battles of life. And after we've submitted ourselves to God, what's that look like? looks like following Jesus, giving Jesus your heart, living the way that God calls you to live, looking at the scriptures, being in community. After we've done that, God gives us strength to resist the work of the devil in our life. How do you know if the devil is coming against you? Well, there's a lot of trials that we have in life that are just of our own doing. Like we just are foolish, we make mistakes, and we got to learn from our mistakes. Anybody been there? I've been there this week several times, right? There's other trials that come just because of our world. There's just traffic that we deal with or, you know, various things that are frustrating and more painful things. And then there are spiritual trials that we go through. Like there's no explanation that you're having this problem. There's no rational reason for it except a spiritual battle is coming against you. Does that make sense? And so we have these spiritual battles. And sometimes Christians can have this thought. Well, maybe if I kind of put my kids in the right school, don't watch the wrong movies, hang around the right people, don't say certain kind of words, just kind of live a clean life in my little circle, maybe I can avoid the war. Maybe I can avoid the war for my soul. I've got really bad news for you. The war will find you. And, I mean, it's not like I want it to find you, but that's the world we find ourselves in. We live in a kingdom clash between good and evil, between light and darkness. And there's pain in the world. And God has called us to confront it. Some Christians have this thought, okay? The Bible says resist the devil. It says it right here, okay? But they have this thought, man, I'm so glad there's people that resist the devil. Man, it kind of view it more like uh, the special forces of the military. I'm so glad there's people that do that, but I'm glad that I don't have to. There's some people that have that perspective. And they're like, man, I'm so glad there's spiritual people that are kind of like the special forces people. Maybe someone can resist the devil for me. Maybe my pastor can do it, right? Maybe if I go to the right charismatic conference and have somebody pray for me, then the devil will get off my back, right? Maybe if I attend this event or do this thing or just get Jeff Bianchi to counsel me one time. Just one lunch appointment, Jeff. I just need your help. All right. Maybe, just maybe, that's not how it works. God wants to strengthen you to resist the devil for yourself. Listen, this is the call of every believer. 
there's a special call in this church, a call to preach the gospel of all nations. And if we're going to do it, we're all going to have to be spiritually strong in the Lord and learn how to resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. What a promise. What an amazing promise. Here's a scripture I'm going to read you that I really don't like. But I felt like God wanted me to do it because it teaches us about the war that we live in and the purpose of that war. Judges chapter 3, the context is the promised land. Israel is moving into their promised land. They've got to fight some battles. There's some bad guys that live there. They've got to get them out of the way. And this is what it says in Judges chapter 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. So, so there were some wars that Israel went through to get their land, their promised land. But then this list, they're going to list all these different nations that God actually left there. He didn't eliminate them in one fell swoop. And he could have, right? There were certain cities that fell to the ground. There's some other people. The earth swallowed them up. So God could have surely eliminated everyone at one time if he wanted to. He could have eliminated every enemy, but he did not. Instead, he did this, and the reason he did it is in parentheses. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. There's a reason that wealth typically only transfers down to the third generation. There's a reason that the moral foundation in our country is crumbling. It's because the current generation does not have battle experience. There's a reason we looked at World War II and say that's the greatest generation, right? Well, our generation can be great too, but God's calling us to confront our battles. And the way God matures us is by having us go through spiritual battles. That's how it backfires on the devil. There's a war for your soul. So much more I could say. Here's the next thought. The soul, and by the way, that was the soil, right, that fell on the path and the birds ate it. Jesus said the bird was the devil. So that's where I'm getting that from. Here's the next soil. That soil that couldn't bear root. The soil was too rocky. What does that soil represent in our life? What does that teach us? The soul needs restoration. Your soul needs restoration. Maybe you're like me. Maybe when you met Jesus, God's spirit came into your life. You felt God touching your heart. And there were some things in your life that were immediately changed, right? Just immediately. God took care of it. But there were other things that God allowed you to work through little by little. And that is the process of restoring our souls. One of the most famous passages of the Bible, Psalm 23. What does David say? You restore my soul. God is a great restorer of souls. He can heal your pain. He can go into your past, but it's a process that we invite him into. I am always tricked because I am a time optimist. So what happens to me is my wife will go to Home Depot and buy a plant. And I'm like, I'm going to plant this plant right now. So I'll go out to my yard over here and I'll start digging. And then I'll think, uh-oh, I need a stronger tool. Okay, go get the pickaxe. Start working at it. Okay, uh-oh, I need a different tool. Got the pitchfork. And then ultimately, yet again, there is like a football-sized rock right under the ground, and I cannot plant this silly plant. And I've done this so many times. I mean, it just drives me crazy. I mean, if I could just sell the rocks that live on my house, that, that, are, that are under my house, I mean, I'd, I'd never have to work a day in my life. I mean, these ro- I just have rocks everywhere. I have rocks on rocks. And the soil around my house needs restoration. Nothing will grow in it. 
And so for me to grow something, I got to take out the rocks, take out the bad soil. I got to put new soil in. I got to put better soil. I got to mix it all up. And then I can plant the plant. Okay. This is very similar to what God does in our life when he restores our soul. Maybe you felt that before. Maybe you felt a blockage in your life, a blockage in your heart. The truth, the Bible says the truth will set us free, but the truth isn't getting where it needs to go. That's because your soul needs restoration. God restores our souls. I saw this picture the other day. I was reading this book um, about ecology and some different things. Here's a farmer. Hey, farmer. Okay, so this was a little analogy about soil. So in front of the farmer, okay, he's holding up a plant. And the same plant he's holding up is the same plant as behind him. But there's a distinct difference. The plant he's holding up, he pulled out of soil that they were saying is the quality of 1950s soil. And the plants behind him, same plant is growing, but there's no root, and it's in modern-day soil that has been ruined. The topsoil has been ruined by modern farming. And so you see here the difference. When we have the right soil, roots can go deep. When we have the wrong soil, and this book was talking about we need to practice the biblical principles of the Sabbath for the land and all these different things to restore the soil. And you can think about that whatever you want. But the the point is the quality of the soil affected the depth of the root. And our soul needs restoring so God's word can take root in our life. Your soul without God is cursed. Just like God spoke to Adam after he sinned and said, the, the, the earth, the, the, the ground is cursed because of you. Sin affects the whole world. It's a virus. It's like the matrix. You can't get out of it. But when God's spirit comes in our life and starts to restore us, he turns those curses into blessings. And it can be a process, but God desires to restore our souls. Here's how it happened to me just two weeks ago. And we're challenging meeting with someone. Anyone ever had a challenging meeting in here, or am I the only one, right? Maybe it was a meeting with me, sorry. So um, so anyway, I had this challenging meeting, and I walked away from this meeting, like, feeling really sensitive, and just kind of like, man, what set me off, you know? Like, what was it about this meeting? And nothing really happened in particular, but it was just hard. I was in a sensitive place, and I was praying about it. And I felt like what God said was, what were you hoping to get out of that meeting? And I thought about it, and I thought, in this meeting, I was hoping to feel blessed. And then I thought about it some more, and I thought, I've done it again. I just wrote a book, and chapter three is, I'm already blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, why am I looking for somebody else to bless me when I have a good heavenly father that has already blessed me with everything I need? And I was like, ah, I've done it again. And so what happened in that moment? It was like God took a holy pickaxe and just moved a rock so a root could go a little deeper. There's seasons of restoring our life, like, like a freedom day or a school of transformation or something like that. And then there's just a lifestyle of letting God restore our souls. The soul needs restoration. Here's another thought. The soul thrives in simplicity. The soul thrives in simplicity. This is the soil that Jesus talked about. It started to grow, but then the weeds choked it out. You remember that soil? Weeds, complexity in your life can choke out what God wants to do. 
the soul thrives in simplicity. Just when I thought I had my summer plans nailed down, the Christmas sales happened on the airlines. And then I had to start planning Christmas. I mean, it's just like a cycle, right? It's this treadmill that we get on in life. And it adds complexity if we don't slow down and invite God in. I remember going to Indonesia and living very simply in a hut with some youth. And um, it was an amazing trip. I mean, we, we saw the glory of God as we were there doing some ministry. But coming back after really eating very little and living with these street youth, I remember going to the grocery store and it was in Texas. The grocery stores are even bigger in Texas, you know, because everything's bigger. And we go into the grocery store and I just was overwhelmed by the amount of cereal options in the grocery store. American life is just complex. It's overwhelming. And what complexity does is it starts to manage us rather than us managing it. And we start to become victims to our stuff and to our schedule and to our own life rather than doing what God wants us to do, which he said in Romans 5, 17, through an abundance of grace, we would reign in life. Complexity, so this is kind of a drastic statement, but track with me. Complexity leads us to temporary atheism. What happens? I gotta get this done, I gotta do this thing. We get on the treadmill and we start disconnecting from the presence of God. We start thinking we can manage it ourselves. We move into the self-arranged life rather than the God-centered life. Complexity will choke out what God is doing. And so, you know, my wife and I have been on this journey the last eight or nine months of embracing simplicity. It's been a wonderful thing. I don't really know how it started, but I do remember there was a day off where I spent my whole day off moving stuff around, managing stuff, fixing stuff was broken, trying to find clothes that didn't fit. It was just like a just frustrating day, you know? And then I had like something booked that night and something that morning. I was, I was exhausted by the end of my day off. Anybody ever been there? And you know what? I didn't spend enough time with my children and I didn't spend enough time with God. And I thought, my life has gotten too complex. I need to embrace simplicity. I need to create margin for God to do something in my life. And let me tell you something. Every time I've given God space, he's filled it. Every time. Every time I've given God space, he's filled it. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm growing. I'm trying to embrace simplicity. Let me read you a few quotes. The first step in, the first step in crafting the life you want is to get rid of everything you don't. A little black and white, but here's a quote by Richard Foster, famous spiritual author. Simplicity is the only thing that sufficiently reorients our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Richard, no fear. Thomas Merton, we'll go a little deeper. If you want to have a spiritual life, you must unify your life. Your life is shaped by the end you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. Song said it's a gift to be simple. It's very true. We can embrace simplicity. It doesn't mean you can't have possessions or a busy schedule. I mean, hey, I'm there. But there's a pressing into our life of complexity that we have to fight against if we want to make room for the word of God to bear fruit in our life. Does that make sense? Great. So we have the soul at war. We have the soul in restoration. We have simplicity. And Simplicity is good for the soul. A simple soul is a healthy soul. So what if this summer, I'm sure you have your summer list of things you want to do, 
Like you want to go to Legoland or the zoo or you want to pick up surfing again or whatever it is you think you want to do this summer. I'm sure you have some things you want to do. But what if you made it a goal this summer to simplify your life? Like go through your commitments, go through your possessions, just looking through the different areas of your life and making room for God. I think God will fill it. You give him that room. Okay, here's my last thought. God desires the success of your soul. That's why Jesus would share this parable. That's why he would talk to us about the soil of our soul. That's why he would share these secrets because God desires the success of our soul. Here's the bottom line. The soil of your soul will determine the extent of your fruitfulness. Within your soul is the secret to success. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you implement all these principles, then tomorrow you're going to be an overnight success, right? You're going to have, you know, 20,000 followers on Instagram, whatever your metric of success is, okay? But here's, a, a garden doesn't grow overnight, right? Seeds take time to bear fruit. But here's what I am saying. If you take control of your soul, steward your soul, start to work out having a healthy soul before God, over time, God's promises are going to bear fruit in your life. You're going to see fruitfulness, but here's the blessing. It's going to be a fruitfulness you can sustain because you're going to have the right environment in your heart to support it. Great. Let's stand. Just put your hand on your heart with me. And I think some of us just need to confess really just the complexity of our life to God and just say, God, I want to simplify my life. Will you speak to me right now? Will you make room in my soul for what you want to do in my life? in this season. Some of you just need to lean over to a neighbor or a friend or spouse and just say, hey, God's calling us to simplify. I I know it. This is something that's coming to mind right now, but let's just sit here right now for a moment. Let God speak to us.